Good morning, church. Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians. Joyful to be with you this morning. Very much looking forward to our time together today in the Word. Uh, God is good and doing great things among us, in us. I'm thankful for um, just the ways in which He's molding and shaping us as we study His Word, as we submit ourselves to His bold truths. Um, Today we get to focus on verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2. I want to read to you verse 4 through 7 to remind us of some context as we dive into God's good word this morning. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Last week we were blessed to spend our entire morning focused on the six words that end verse 5. The amazing truth that we are saved by grace alone. By grace you have been saved. The Bible teaches us here and throughout Scripture that salvation is entirely of grace. It's the will and work of God. The Scriptures are clear that men and women are sinful by nature and cannot do anything to save themselves or even prepare themselves to be saved. The Scriptures are equally clear that it is God who saves by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Definition of grace that we worked through last week is grace's unmerited favor, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Both the giver must be unobligated and the receiver undeserving or it is not grace paul is clear to make this point in romans eleven six. but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace salvation is a gift of god's amazing grace let us praise him church for his glorious grace for without it All would rightly be condemned to eternal suffering for our sin. Did you have this in view this morning as we follow up to last week? Have you forgotten already by the challenges that you've gone through, the ways in which this last week didn't go the way you wanted it to go or had planned for it to go, the ways in which we so quickly make it about us, Church, we're saved by grace. This is a truth that should just consistently overwhelm us unto praise, unto a life devoted to God, away from our sin and ourself. Today, as we pick up in verse 6, we see that it is very, verse 6 and 7 are very much a continuation of the point that Paul is making in verse 4 and 5. Consider the flow when uh, the unique extra emphasis of by grace you have been saved 
is set aside. Listen to it without that emphasis. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According to the authority of Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This is not just a great recap of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation that happened 500 years ago. It is very much Paul's emphasis here in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Here, in verse 6 and 7, Paul expands on the blessing of being saved, and specifically saved in Christ alone. Scripture uses a variety of phrases when describing the fact that we are saved in Christ alone. Throughout the New Testament, we see examples of how we, the elect, are saved in Christ. We also see how Christ is in us. And we'll see here today the phrasing of how we are with Christ. This is such a central and vital part of who we are as Christians. If if Christ is your Lord and Savior, church, then you came today to deal with a text that very much is going to speak clarity of who you are, your identity, and especially related to that identity as it relates to your bond, your union with Christ. Paul speaks of our union with Christ 164 times in his New Testament writings. And in this, Paul is lifting high and loud why it is such good news to be united with Christ. Turn with me for a moment back to Ephesians 1, verse 1. Just just look with me at the previous chapter where we've been weeks past. Let me quickly point out just how central this is to what Paul is saying. As we see in Ephesians 1.1, Paul is writing to the saved saints who are in Christ Jesus. There it is, union with Christ. And then in verse 3, Paul emphasizes that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then in verse 4, that the elect are chosen in Him, in Christ, from eternity past, before creation. In verse 5, we're predestined for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. In verse 7, we are redeemed in Him. In verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance in Him. In verse 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ, in Him. And then today, in, or, or in, our, in chapter 2, verse 5, we are saved. We are made spiritually alive in Christ. And in today's scripture, we see that we're raised up and seated with Him in the heavenly places. In verse 7, we will know the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Do you think that Paul's trying to make a point here? Church, we need to see this with great clarity. It needs to move us. It needs to shape us. The doctrine of salvation and life in Christ alone is so central to who we are. There's no denying that all of these things, all of these great gifts 
that we could ever receive of this most vital change in our identity and our position in eternity is absolutely dependent on our union with Christ. And so, and so I just tease it right now. In what ways are you going about your life, your days, trying to grow apart from Him? You are vitally linked to Christ. In every moment that we think, I'm going to make a way through this with Him on the side, with Him on the back burner, by your own strength, by your own best intentions. No. To be saved, we need all of what Christ is in His righteousness and none of what we are in our sin. Christ alone perfectly and completely satisfies God's holy standard for us. How, why would we ever move beyond or outside of Christ? Oh, how I want each of you who belong to Christ through faith and because of His grace to see how absolutely and completely united with Christ you are and just how life-altering this news is to all who are saved in Him. Our union with Christ is so central and such a vital part of our faith in life, so central to God's decrees for Paul's emphasis in writing much of the New Testament that some of our very best theologians and commentators over the years have deemed the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation is to be in Christ. A.W. Pink says the subject of spiritual union is the most important, the most profound, and yet the most blessed of any that is set forth in sacred scripture. Our union with Christ. Church, see with me today how absolutely clear Scripture is to show that the saved Christian is always and fully connected to Christ, and without Him we have nothing that is good for life with God, especially life with God for eternity. As we will see today in verse 6 and 7, Paul is pointing to the the hearts of his listeners to the glory of God. The emphasis here in Christ is we're seated with God in glory. In Christ we will enjoy His glory forever. So let me ask you very practically this morning as we dig in. Is this reality of being seated with Christ in glory to enjoy the glory of God forever? Is this your true joy? Is it your motivation when living your daily life. Not that vacation of a lifetime that's coming. Not that you're finally going to be married or finally going to have a child. Not that you're about to retire. But that you will be in glory with God for all eternity because of Christ. Seriously, practically, consider with me this morning, for you, what is your hope of glory? What is your hope for glory? What do you, what do you wake up and chase down to fill yourself with worth, 
with happiness, with satisfaction, with purpose. In what ways has Christ not been enough for that lately for you? Listen to what Paul says to the Colossians, Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the hope of glory? Christ in you. What are the riches of this gospel ministry? Christ in you. The covenant of God made before time, the promise of God at the fall of mankind, the hope of mankind for true and lasting glory throughout the generations has always been the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no true lasting hope without it. The good news that the promised Messiah would come, would die, and rise to conquer death on our behalf. This promise, this gospel, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. Our only hope for glory is Jesus Christ. Is Christ in you. Like I've mentioned before and needed for a reminder, it doesn't say Christ and you. Like you make a good team. Sometimes you have the ball and driving the court. Sometimes he has the ball and driving the court. No. We don't, we don't, get a, we don't plug into him for a moment, get our, our batteries filled, and then we unplug and go do it. It also doesn't say Christ, then you. He, he came, He lived, He died, He rose again. Now it's our turn. We look back on Him like He's a good example, but it's up to us. No, it is faith in Jesus Christ. It is belonging to Jesus Christ. It is Christ in us, and it is us in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And again, it's all over. Look a few verses before this. Colossians 1, verse 2. Same, same kind of greeting that he writes to the church in Ephesus. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. They're in Christ. Paul makes this clear again and again. God's way of bringing you and I, who at one time were His enemy, full of sin, into life restored with the Holy God. We have Christ in us, and we are put into Christ. We're regenerated from within. We're covered and united with Christ. Being a Christian and truly belonging to Christ is way more than one who has adopted a new list of religious practices or external modifications. If that's all your religion has done for you, has given you some new disciplines, then you in and of yourself, when overcome by the storm, 
will turn away. You will become lazy. You will become distracted. And then what is that religion good for? Nothing. You are desperate for Christ, not only for salvation, but for all of it. Your identity is in Christ. Scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 12, the next chapter, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. When we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, God places us into the perfect work of Christ on our behalf. You weren't time warped into Jesus' baptism, time warped into His physical rising from the dead. No, we're in Him. What those things are, to be baptized into Christ, to join Him in His death on our behalf, to rise with Him... We're linked to Him. We're bound, represented by is our advocate, our power, our, our union with Him is so critical. Look at the next chapter, Colossians 3, 1-4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So just consider with me for a moment. Where do you err? Where where do you slip? Parents, when, when, when you get fed up, and you're just out of gas with the kids, we only respond in a way that's fleshly or unacceptable, not honoring to God, because we've set aside Christ, because Christ isn't enough in that moment, because out of our own, we're out of gas. Well, what about your marriage? In the ways that your marriage isn't meeting this romantic notion of what it should be, God is providing for you, and, and, and He's giving you a faithful spouse to, to journey with. And yes, it has its, its, its ups and its downs, and it has its, its folly, and it has its, its reminders that we're still fighting sin, but you're, you're bound in Christ. You're satisfied in Christ. You're hidden with Christ. That's what you need. That's what you're desperate for. To set that aside and then to only fixate on the way the temporary is going is to be confounded, is to be angered, is to be distraught. Because in that view, Christ is in everything. Church, you're hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with Him in glory. We're secure in Christ. We're hidden. That means we're kept from anyone that might try to take us out. 
Jesus comes and pays for our rebellion. He pays for our debt. Covers us in his righteousness. This is imputation. He allows us to be in him. This is what it means is God looks upon you and I and he sees Jesus' perfections. When you're feeling let down by someone around you and they belong to Jesus, can we change our view of that person and see Jesus' perfections in them, the price that Jesus paid to have for them, and that your hope is not in that person, it's in Jesus. Church, who who are you? Beloved brother, sister, who are you? What are you living for? We need to see the the true joy and total transformation that has happened in our lives. We are with Christ. That's who we are. And every moment we set that aside, we're playing out of the old playbook. We're playing out of the old identity. Brother, sister, and then someone reminds you, hey, Christ is enough. You're like, yeah, I get that. I get that here. But But I don't get that in a way that it's consuming all of who I am and motivating me through so I say I get that, but then I set it aside and now woe is me and look how terrible this is and look, and I'm just caught up in my flesh over here. It's who you are. You're with Christ. Nothing else you do or produce or work hard for or accomplish is bigger than that fact that you are with Christ. Who is Joshua Kirstein? What is he all about? The very best answer to that question is simply, he's with Christ. That's it. Well, what else? What else comes even close to that? Nothing. No no humanitarian effort for a lifetime around the world touches that. Nothing else I could say is bigger than that. No other reality about me, no deed, no accomplishment I've performed is more amazing than the fact that I'm with Christ. Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with Him in glory. So when in the midst of real hardship, do you, is that truth alive and at work in you? We who belong to Christ because we are with Christ will appear in Christ into God's forever glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes. (laughs) There's only hope for resurrection. For glory with God 
if you are truly with Christ. So, to the young adults, the, the, the teenagers, the children in the room, how is that reality moving you, mobilizing you, shaping you? Parents, how, how does that reality purpose your parenting? The limited time the Lord gives you with the children, He has entrusted to you, how is it motivating Single people, how is that being put to work in a way where that testimony is bright amidst your singleness? How is that reality playing out in your marriage? defined by our circumstances that God could ordain to stricken us with immobilization with a mind that no longer functions with blindness, with poverty with unforeseen death of loved ones and He is good and worthy to be praised that that gospel testimony that my joy, my identity is in Christ is to happen in and through that This is Paul's point. Hear it again, verse 6, Ephesians 2, 6. Saved us together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because Christ has conquered sin and death on our behalf, we're raised up with Him. And just as Jesus is seated in glory in the heavenly places, so we who belong to Him, who are in Christ, will be seated with Him in the heavenly places in glory. This is who you are. The unbreakable promises of God means this is your coming reality forever. That truth is to flood us through what is very momentary and hard. Listen to how Paul describes this glorious change in us from dead in sin to alive in Christ in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22 In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. By Adam, all that we've studied in the first verses of this chapter means death and sin. But those who are trusting in Christ, by Christ has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ, you shall be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus is a testimony to the resurrection of all who trust in Him. This is truly good news like none else out there. There is no gospel like the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Unlike all other religions, Christianity alone possesses a founder who transcends death, who promises that His true followers will do the same. All other religions, founders, prophets, leaders... 
Their end is the grave. It's done. It's a wrap. As Christians, we take comfort in the fact that God the Son became man, lived without any sin, died for the sins of His elect as the perfect substitutional sacrifice, and was resurrected on the third day as the great victor over sin and death. The grave could not hold Him. He lives and He sits today at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Amen? We, we, everything about us needs to rest in that, live in that, hold to that. It's ours, all of us who truly belong to Christ, who are in Christ, who Christ is in us. Death is not our end. No, we will be resurrected and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Look at later at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the good news of the gospel as opposed to religion. You can believe in the gospel. You can know the gospel and still be foolish enough to set it aside and then play out religion. Religion says earn your new identity. Keep working to keep it up. Earn your victory. Resurrect yourself from your hardship. Follow the rules to be included. The Gospel says God has graciously elected and acted upon you to raise you from death to life. The Gospel says Christ has earned your victory over sin and death. Turn with me later in your Bible towards the back. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. One of my favorite scriptures in the text. One we visit a lot. So powerful. So good. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy. According to grace alone. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to His great mercy. What does it say? It doesn't say according to my merit or decision. Our salvation is not the result of our wise choice to accept God's offer at new life. Our salvation is not the result of our good works to earn the favor of God unto new life. Our salvation is according to the mercy or grace of God alone. This was our focus last week. But just as Paul doesn't stop there, Peter doesn't end there either. What is our hope based on? To a living hope, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Always connected to Christ. Without it, we have nothing. Have you been losing hope in the hardships that are coming your way lately? 
in the things that continue to not go your way? Hear Peter's words here. And let them be solid ground under your feet after being lost at sea for many months. Hear them. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a genuine and vital hope in contrast to a hope that is empty or in vain. The hope we have in Christ is not a baseless superstition. It's not contrived in the hearts of fallen man. It is built on the perfect and completed work of Christ. It is upheld by the all-powerful security of the Almighty Father. He says it's living because Christ is living. We trust, church, in a resurrected Savior. Not in a long, dead-and-gone prophet or priest like man-made religions of this world. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, if He's not the firstborn of all that God would redeem, what do we have to hope in? But as the famous hymn says, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is our battle cry. Church, let me say it this way. This is your wake-up alarm in the morning. My hope for today is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Are you losing your motivation? Are, are you confounded and angry and just broke down? It is very likely that is because you're pointing at something or someone else other than Christ alone. Do you see it? Yeah, it's going to feel broken. You're going to be let down if your hope is built on that guy or that situation or even your own performance. It must not be. It must be built on Christ alone. Amen? Please. I, it's like, yes, I've heard this a thousand times. I pray, I've been praying, this would hit you between the eyes this morning and knock you over. Not in a charismatic way. In a life-altering way. In a way where the light comes on and you see the folly of why you're so bound up. Of why you continue to fall into the same hole. Because you get it here, but you're not living it out. 
So when we read, we're made alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We need to understand the foundation of our very identity. That in Christ we are victorious over sin. In Christ, although we will one day physically die, we will live forever with God. That in Christ, even though we suffer and many hardships come our way, Our hope is in the glory of God. It's a living hope. It's not a fleeting or flippant hope. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on the completed and secured perfection of Jesus Christ. Beloved, have you forgotten who you are in Christ? Have you lost your sight of Him? Hear Paul say it again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is good news. We're raised up in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that's your position. That's your place. It gets better. Look with me at verse 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. What are the immeasurable riches of God's grace that He wants to show us in His kindness through the substitutional work of Christ on our behalf? What Paul has here in view is the perfections of God. In his eternal glory, that we will get to enjoy in the commencement and forevermore of his eternal kingdom. Because we are dealing with the vastness of God and his immeasurable worth, we're talking about riches and enjoyment that is beyond measure and even our understanding to fully comprehend. Listen to the way that Jesus speaks to these things. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. Or John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, and where I am, you may be also. Amen? 
The author of Hebrews says it so well in speaking of the faithful saints of old and new. Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16. For these died in faith. Notice this. They died without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. Are you guilty of saying to God, Hey God, I want some of that immeasurable inheritance now. I want to tap into that 401k just a little bit right now. They hadn't received it, but saw it. They've seen them. They've welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say much things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they have been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. What have you given up for the name of Christ? It's only your flesh that would want to spin back to that. No church, we long for a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I say it often, the greatest joy of the kingdom of God is not the kingdom. It is the King Himself. God is the prize. Those who believe in God just to get to heaven, meaning, I'm not really into God, believe in Him just enough to convince myself I'm going to get to that cool place and then I'll be stoked. No, you won't be stoked. You won't like heaven if you don't really like God. Because heaven and the best parts of heaven are God. The better country, the heavenly city is going to be off the charts. Not because of streets of gold or chocolate wonderfalls. But because all human obstacles that get in the way of you enjoying and worshiping God are gone. The joy of it won't be to mainly, it won't mainly be due to the absence of the struggle, even or the pain. Sometimes we really hang our hat on that. I just want out of the pain and the struggle. No, it won't be just the absence of that. It will be the uninhibited presence and glory of the Almighty God. The treasures of the temporary are just that. They're temporary. Let let me really press on you if you've been really feeling overwhelmed by life's hardships lately because I, I know that many of you are in some real stuff I know that because I'm walking with it through you with you and, and that's only what I know there's many things I know that many of you are going through that I don't know in what ways 
Are you missing the opportunity to steward today for his glory, for the witness of this gospel? You're giving that up because you're choosing to not be fixed on Christ and what you are and have in him. You're choosing to be fixed on all the temporary stuff that's so fleeting and will never satisfy. You're broke down because you're fixed on it. Because you're letting it define you. Because you're letting it throw you down. Your hope is in your circumstances or in another person. Thinking if that will just get right, then I'll be good. That is not the way a Christian does this time. You will be broke down if that's the way you're looking at it. We forgive we live out what God's called us to be and to do. We, we long for time with Him. We long for opportunity to make much of His name. We consider the rest of it for naught because we see the purpose of these days is not the temporary treasures. I don't want to ever exchange what is best about what it is to be in the Lord or what's coming for the temporary stuff. Have it. That's what Paul understood. Listen to the psalmist. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, my heart, and my portion forever. Colossians 1, 11 and 12. Be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In his faith in Christ, Paul's able to adjust, radically adjust, his longing and his grip on the temporary stuff. to all that it meant to be in Christ. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Every moment, in other words, there's an opportunity to have some happy, some joy, some peace in it. I exchange that for happy joy and peace in Christ. Because it is fleeting. It does not satisfy. It cannot, but Christ can. Do you see? He's learned a new economy. To how to deal with those junctions that we go through every day. I exchange it. Here it comes. It's tempting. No, I don't want it. I want Christ. My joy is in Christ. I count everything as lost, he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Or as he says later in 
Verse 13 and 14 of Philippians 3. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of God's grace is God Himself. It's not that there will be no more suffering, pain, death, and sorrow. It's not that heaven won't be magnificent and the feast will be like nothing we've ever tasted or had. It's not that we'll be perfectly united with the saints, our eternal family. All these things are amazing. They're beyond imagination, Scripture says. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. If at any moment what is before you is the thing that you're ready to exchange who you are in Christ and what God has prepared for you, if at any moment you're tempted to say, I'm just going to take this, I want you to see it is setting down of your faith of what's behind the door. You're operating out of the flesh in that moment because you're rejecting what God has promised is behind the door to have what is now. He says it will be better than you can even dream. And all of these things are not the prize. Even all that, all of what he says is better than we can even dream, is not the prize. It it is only the decorations and the cake. It is only the buffet. It is only the pony ride at the party. It is not the best part of it. What we really want is to be with the one whom the party's for. The almighty, eternal, and worthy God. He is the prize. He is the glory. The immeasurable riches will be to know Him and to be with Him unhindered and full of glory. Oh, church family, we are His and we get to be with Him in glory forever. How rich we are in Christ You see how rich you are, Christian. Not in the money you have in the bank that could be stolen or burned. Not in the cars or houses we work to gather that can wear out. Not in food or flavors that are enjoyed for a moment and then passed and done. Not in relationships that can betray you, leave you, or die on you. Do you see that you are rich, Christian, because you are in Christ? That's it. That's all we need. 
it in many ways is better than we've even realized. That's the point of today. We will know God and enjoy Him forever. As we've been studying in covenant theology at our midweek gathering in the last few weeks under the teaching of one of our faithful elders, Matt Kirstein, the, the last weeks of our study have been focused on the Old Covenant and learning about God's covenant promises with ethnic Israel and how their inheritance in the Old Covenant was for temporary blessings, special promises of land to Israel. Only in the New Covenant, only in Christ, the inheritance that Christ secures for us in salvation is in terms of eternal reward. These blessings are end time victory and deliverance to the new heavens and new earth where we will enjoy God forever. This is Paul's emphasis in chapter 1 and now again in chapter 2. Be reminded with me quickly, chapter 1, 11 through 14, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him, here we go, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the promise of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with Him with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And now in chapter 2, He's raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See with me this morning our new position in Christ. See that we share in His victory and we are secure in His power and we will enjoy His bounty and privilege by being sat with Him in the heavenly places and enjoy His everlasting inheritance. The first Peter passage I read earlier, listen to the next verse. I'll read you the whole context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the rest. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I would venture to guess that most of us do not have a big inheritance to look forward to here. Many of us don't have a super wealthy grandfather who's promised us the bulk of his estate and fortune. So, so this concept that part of our hope is looking forward to this great inheritance at the end of our lives for us is pretty foreign. But for us who belong to Christ, who are in Christ, hear this this morning. 
hear it this morning. This is better than you walked into a seminar this morning where you were chosen out of all these people in the world and you're going to receive this $4 billion estate. This is better than that. You could have walked into that kind of seminar this morning. You could have been told that news today. This is better than that. Do you understand what you're facing? Do you understand what this promise is? According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What are you putting your hope in, church? That can be taken away. That can break down on you. That can leave you. Our inheritance in Christ is imperishable. It will not end. It will not run out. It will not go bad. Our inheritance in Christ is undefiled. It is holy and it is pure. Our inheritance in Christ is unfading. It cannot lose its luster or value or beauty over time. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so practically to go today, Jesus says to us, Matthew 6.20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Church, we are raised and we are rich in Christ. Just to close, can I ask you just to close your eyes and just consider a few questions to ponder, to do work with today as we prepare to go. Beloved, are you living this reality out in your daily life? Are you storing up treasures in heaven or are the only treasures you're really focused on temporary things that have a truly limited shelf life? Church, are you caught up only worrying about things that you can't take with you? Or are you cherishing the accolades that you might be earning in this short life, things that are soon forgotten? Or are you living with and for Christ in such a way that you are joyful to receive the unfading crown of glory? I am glad that eternity is beyond our imagination, that it's bigger than my limited mind and imagination, that its peaks are beyond what I've experienced in this life, that God is the author of my eternity. Church, this is a great comfort to me. Why? Because we are so limited to think the only things that we have in this life are the best of what He has to offer. It is simply not true. It is but a taste of what is to come. This is truly good news this morning for all who believe in Jesus alone. If you do not repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. See with me, church, this morning how God has shown His love and grace and will all the more in the coming ages.
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Church, you are and you will be raised up and seated with Christ in glory. You are truly rich in Christ alone. This is the greatest news we could ever be told. May it spill over into praise and bold testimony today and each day God gives us under the sun until he calls us home in glory. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your ordaining Paul to write these things that we could know, these truths, that we could be reminded of these things. Stripped down, woken up, moved to see, to take hold of that which we've played light with, to be reminded to return to this great love that you've shown us to be fixed in Christ and Christ alone. We are desperate for you, not just for salvation, but for every day that we would attempt to go about this life because of temptation of the flesh, because of the lostness of the world, because of the reality of the hardships that we face. But you are better and stronger. And what you've promised is so much greater than anything we might chase that is temporary. Christ in us, Lord, move us to put our feet on the rock and trust in you alone, the peace that is Christ, to move us from this place for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray.